Thanks for joining us today for the Ramp Church podcast. We pray that you will be encouraged and empowered by this week's message and you would encounter God wherever you're listening from. If you'd like to know more about Ramp Church Manchester or would like to partner with us in giving, visit us over on our website ramp.church/mcr or find us on social media. Now, let's go into this week's message. that we're in is called the great commitment to the great commandment and the great commission and we kind of unpack those things about commitment and the greatest commandments and then the great commission that we've been given and today I'm going to dive deeper into the great commandment Um, I spoke on this a few weeks ago I spoke on the part about loving God with all of our heart our soul and our strength our heart our mind and our strength and the, the, the second commandment that Jesus partners with that is to love one another. And it's amazing if you're, if you're to summate all of your life, and all of us do this on some level. I spoke about this a couple weeks ago if you want to dive deeper into this idea. All of us have a rule of life. You come to church and you're like, yeah, I'm expecting someone to talk about commandments. To something to tell me what to do. Some sort of rules. But I'm not into rules. I want to live life on my terms. But you have rules. Everybody has has, has, you've narrowed life down to, some, to a few irrefutable rules, and you, you live by them. The question is not, do you live by rules or not? The question is, what's the quality of the rules you live by? That's the question. And when we come into a place of faith, especially ancient faith, one of the most, one of the most beautiful life-giving aspects about it is we're dealing with truths and rules and ideas that have been tested for centuries. So we're not in this kind of, well, I'm just living life on my own idea of how things should be done. If, if you could pull back the curtain and realize how influenced by the world around you you are in those even rules that you come up with, you would, you would question them a bit more than you do. But we, we, we generally don't live that honest with ourselves, do we? So one of the most beautiful things to me about the Christian story and the Christian worldview is it taps us into truth that transcends any one culture, any one place in history, yet it has relevance for our place in history and your job and your family and for your friend group and for for your career path, whatever it may be. So in this chapter of Ramp Church, we're looking at the great commandment and Jesus narrows down the top two rules that will that if, if you and I can live by, if we can pursue, we never reach perfection, but if we can pursue, it will lead to our flourishing, to human flourishing. That's Jesus' vision for us. It's not because he likes robots and people to all look religious and do the same thing every day and wear the same thing and pray the same thing. and That, that's, it, that doesn't do anything for him. What he wants to see is he, he desires to see human flourishing. So when, when we adopt the rule of life that Jesus lived by and Jesus gave us, what, what happens is we, we, we live on the path that leads to f- flourishing and thriving. So we see that all through the New Testament. One of the things that surprises me about the New Testament is how often the early church leaders talk about how to treat one another. We're talking about loving one another. And today, my, my goal for today is that all of us realize we have everything we need to have healthy relationships and love well. I realize that can be a 
kind of a, a loaded statement that you unpack and, oof, oh, relationships have been a hard thing in my life or relationships have been a source of pain in my life. Yes, even in that situation, even in that circumstance, I believe, this is, this is where I hope we end off today, that you leave realizing I have everything I need to have healthy, life-giving, thriving relationships and learning how to love. And so I'm, I'm constantly amazed at the New Testament writers bringing us back to how to treat one another, and that's what I'm going to talk about today. Amen? Let me pray over us. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that today we can be championed and challenged and corrected, but we can also be shaped into the people that you want us to be by the life-giving word of God. We open our hearts and our minds. We want to learn from your truth. And if you mean that, Ram Church, would you just say with me, Amen. Thank you. So uh, one of the things I want to do is I want to invite you into the story of the Bible, which is the story of learning how to love well. Uh, for me, my goal in life, I, I really have a twofold goal. Number one is learning how to follow. I'm a terrible follower. I like to lead. I hate to follow. And I'm really hard to lead. I know that about myself. So I want to learn how to follow well. And the other thing I want to do is I want to learn how to, how to love well. And I'm a terrible lover of people, naturally. But it is, it is the desire of my heart to be shaped into someone who loves people well. And one of the things, we're in a season of what we call communities here at Ramp Church. That's our, like, home churches, uh, small groups. There's different ideas of, uh, of what that is. But it's where this experience that's kind of a gathered space where there's loud music and loud preaching and people screaming at you and all that, where it, it comes into everyday life and we meet in homes midweek. And it's in smaller groups where you can do life on life kind of journey together, figure out how do we take this truth and apply it to the situations in my life, okay? So we're in that season. But one of the things I've discovered is when you start to get people close to one another, conflict happens. And I realize that it's got to be one of the reasons that the New Testament writers talk about how to treat one another so often is because people are actually doing life together. And that means people are getting hurt. People are tripping over one another's attitudes. People get offended. People get bitter. People don't know how they say the wrong thing at the wrong time in the wrong way, right? People are envious and jealous of one another. Right? That's what happens. So we oftentimes, especially in the West, Instead of dealing with that conflict, we just separate ourselves from, from others, right? But here's what I found about healthy community. I, I want to help guide you, Ramp Church, in this season of getting closer to one another in community. Here's what, I've, here's what I've learned about conflict. It's this idea. It's not always the absence of conflict that shows healthy relationships. It's our response to conflict that shows healthy relationships. Are you hearing me? Oftentimes we judge, is this environment or this culture healthy? By, do, do, people, do people have conflict with one another? I've heard people say this about their dating relationship before. Young adults who are just getting to know each other, and they're like, it's amazing. Our relationship is amazing. We've never gotten in a fight. The first thought in my mind is, well, then you've never been honest. Because conflict is part of relationship. If you're being honest, conflict is going to happen. Now, uh, the reason why I put the word always here is because if you're in a relationship where conflict is the norm, it, it's, it's like ground zero is conflict, that's not healthy, okay? That, that, that should not be ground zero. But in a healthy relationship, conflict will be a part of that relationship. Why? Because 
we, we, we have two different experiences, two different personalities, two different life uh, stories, and those things clash. Those perspectives clash. But what, what determines whether something's healthy or not is our response to the conflict. And I think the people of God, the community of God, the faith family is especially equipped to deal with conflict because we have the breath of God, the wind of God, what we sang about earlier. We have the Spirit of God in us who empowers us to forgive, to cover, to confront, and to grow in love. It gives us the example of Jesus, but it also gives us the infilling of the Holy Spirit, which allows us to grow closer to one another, not farther apart when we interact with conflict. And I, this really is rooted in the biblical story, okay? All the way back at the beginning. So I want to take you into that biblical story. Look at Genesis 2, verse 18. Just the first, the A clause of that verse. The first, it says this, The Lord God said, it's not good that man should be alone. So God had created all of creation, and the, the way Genesis 1 kind of uh, does that is in seven days. It's, it's debatable on whether that's actually seven days or not. That's not really the point of Genesis 1 and 2. The point is God created all of creation, and he uses this phrase over and over and over. And God saw, God said that it was good. He declared goodness over his creation until he got to this. This was the first thing in the creation story that God declared that it was not good. And it makes me realize the first problem God solved in all of creation was not the problem of sin. The first problem that God solved in all of creation was the problem of isolation. God saw that all of his creation was good except the isolation of humanity. And this is what I realize. You can have everything you need in life. Adam had, he had purpose. He was given the garden to tend. He had, all, he had every functional need in life. He's got, his, he's got fruit. He's got veg. It's right there at his fingertips. He's got a purpose to, uh, to, to live. He's got a relationship with God. Let's talk about that. That's unhindered by sin or brokenness. You can even have a close relationship with God. The Bible, we know that the Bible tells us that, that he walked with, in the cool of the day with God. So there was this unbroken fellowship with even his creator. And God realized there's still an isolation that he cannot thrive in if, if I don't solve. And this is what that makes me realize. This is very countercultural. I'm going to prepare you before I, before I show you this. It's this principle, this next slide. You were created to need. You were created to need. Now, I know our culture tells you that the greatest success in life is when you don't need anybody. When you've made it enough financially, when you're at the top of the pile and no one can step on you to get to the top anymore because you're on the top. That's what our culture tells you. And it's reinforced all around us. The whole idea is I need to create an existence that declares I have need of nothing. I don't have beauty needs because my physical appearance is perfect. Right? So the cosmetic industry is driven by that fact. It's why people get chemicals put in their face to remove wrinkles and enlarge certain aspects of their face. I'm not, I'm not just, hey, if that's your thing, if that's what you love, more power to you. I'm just saying, what is that all about? It's, it's, it is about this, this putting myself in a place where I have need of nothing. I'm exclusive. I'm separate. But God is saying... That is actually not the way we're built. 
we are hardwired to need. We are hardwired to need others. When is the last time you called someone and asked them for a coffee and they ask you, yeah, what do you want to do? And you're like, honestly, I just need to be with somebody right now. Most of the time we say, I just want to catch up. I just want to hang. But there's a deeper need there, isn't there, for somebody else? Why, why, Why are we even weird about saying things like that? Because we live in a culture that that tells us to need is to be weak, is to be unsuccessful, is to be undesirable. But the biblical story has a different starting point. And the biblical story says this, we were created to need. And it's it's interesting, we're, we're still trying to sell this idea that we don't need, but we're in the middle of a loneliness epidemic. So we've created a storyline that it's successful not to need people, but we're in a loneliness epidemic. It's, that, that's why in, in the UK we have our first minister of loneliness. That their focus is to decrease the epidemic of loneliness. Uh, loneliness is likely to increase your risk of death by 26%. This is a, a study to my whole Lundstad in 2015. Loneliness and social isolation are associated with an increased risk of of developing coronary heart disease and stroke. Physical results of of emotional loneliness. Loneliness, living alone, and poor social connections are as bad for your health as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Loneliness is worse for you than obesity. A study in America found that 40% of all Americans say they are close to no one. I would imagine, just on my cultural experience, this is a generalization and a guess, but just on my cultural experience between the two cultures of America and Britain, that, that, that stat's probably worse in Britain. 40% of all Americans say they are close to no one. All, do you know what? During lockdown, all the bad numbers rose, Right? All the bad numbers. Drug overdoses were in double-digit increases month over month. Suicide. Why? We're isolated. Yet we're still buying into this narrative that, no, I'm good. No, I'm good. I don't need anybody. I'm straight. Right? I don't need. And part, why is that? Oh, I want to unpack that a bit. You were created to need. One of the things in the biblical story that we find out that is that in the, in 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 sin, which is which is a tiny word that that you can write books about. It, it, actually, something broke. It wasn't just people doing wrong things, but something about our nature broke. See, the beautiful thing about the Bible is it's trying to diagnose why aren't we flourishing? Why aren't we living in this beautiful idea of Eden, paradise? And it's identifying this brokenness. It calls that brokenness sin. And it's identifying that it's not just people doing bad things to one another, but it's actually our capacity to have needs met and meet someone else's needs. That very capacity is now distorted. You hearing me? So I want to spend the the next few weeks here in the middle of our great commitment to the great commandment and the great commission. And I'm going to get very practical on what does it look like 
to actually meet one another's needs relationally. Next few weeks, we're actually going to talk about very, I mean, we're going to get so, we're going to get so practical. You're going to know how, in, when someone's going through this kind of scenario relationally, what do I, who do I need to be to them? How do I listen well? What kind of things do I need to speak into their life? Who do they need from me in that place? Why? Because if we're going to be a, if we're going to be a better, more real community, we've got to be practically equipped on how do I even love well? How do, how do I be there for other people? And this is what I love. This is, this is what the Bible says about this place. Look at this. Psalms 92. The righteous flourish. I just love that word. Would you describe your life as flourishing? Uh, someone asked you recently, like, how you doing? You're like, flourishing. <laughs> like at the office, you know, it's, it's like a greeting. They don't really mean how are you doing, but they say it, and you like stop them, and you're like, I'm flourishing. This songwriter is he's speaking into that. He's saying the righteous flourish and he uses like local plants. Like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. I love this and we don't want this not what this message is about. But but Mount Lebanon is actually a very um, uh, when I was in Israel <laughs> Mount Lebanon is actually a high elevation. Okay, so it's really, it's, it, it, it's trees growing in inhospitable environments. They're not just growing, they're flourishing. They are, how do they flourish? They're planted. They're planted. And where are they planted? In the house of the Lord, in that place, they flourish. So here's, here's my question to us, in all of this, where are you planted? Where are you planted? You're planted somewhere. Your, your roots are somewhere. Where are those roots? Where are they? What do they look like? What's, what's the environment around that? What are the nutrients in the soil you're planted in? Are they life-giving? Do they lead to flourishing? Or not? Uh, this, now I'm going to bring in my friend right here. This, I literally, um, Alex came to my house this morning. Where are you, Alex? Are you here? Uh, back there. Yeah. Alex came this morning after band rehearsal in his van, and we loaded this up off of my, fr- off of my front garden. So I inherited this plant. Can you believe it's February? Look at the blooms on this thing, right? Now I need a little more, like, encouragement than that, guys. Yeah, there we go. There we go. Okay, I know um, this is not like the Royal Botanical Society or anything, but, I mean, it, it's, a, it's a pretty plant, right? So... Um, I inherited this when we when we rented uh, moved into this this rental house we're in. We, we moved it back to the in the back garden, and it was like a dump, like just pots everywhere, dirt. Everywhere. I mean, it was just it was, and this was in some like plastic pot, and it it was it was like one or two sticks with like yellow leaves. I mean, yellow leaves, brown spots all over the leaves. It looked awful. It looked terrible. And I was like, you know what? I think I want to give this a go. I, want to, I just want to see, can I, like, I love challenges. You know, I'm like, I, just, I want to see what I can do with this plant. So um, I feel like this is a great metaphor for, for our lives oftentimes. Because oftentimes we look at the fruit of our lives. We look at our leaves or our lack of blooms. It did not bloom the first entire season. The first year it didn't bloom at all. It was just leaves and they were still yellow. But... 
And what we try to do is we try through more effort to change our reality, the outside reality. Or, and to me that effort would, would, would kind of look like this in gardening. Grow! We're like yelling. Bear fruit! Bloom! We, we yell at the plant. But all of us know that's not going to change the reality of the plant, is it? What's actually going to change the reality of the plant is you have to adjust where it's planted. You have to adjust the soil. So after um, the uh, botanical expert, Google, mentored me in gardening, what I did was I actually took it out of the pot and I literally washed all the soil, all the, all the old soil off of it. So all the roots were just laid bare. Have you ever felt like that in God's presence before? Because before he plants you in a new place, he's got to wash off the old place. This is where forgiveness comes in. This is where getting honest before others and in the presence of God. This is why we confess our sins one to another. Why? Because I've got to be honest with what's beneath the surface. I'm not preaching about that, but that's, that's for somebody in this room. You've got to be honest about what's beneath the surface. And as long as you hide it, it can't get washed off. So the first thing I did was I took it out of the pot and I literally washed so the roots were, they look like twigs, completely bare. And then I researched what's the kind of soil that this exact plant needs. And I ordered it online, got it delivered, and I planted this. And the first season, again, it did not, it did not bloom at all. But here we are two seasons later, and look at this guy. Isn't that amazing? It's, it's not by effort. It's by changing the soil. Where are you planted? Where are you planted? What's the soil of your life? Instead of, instead of tweaking all the effort of trying to make the exteriors of your life change, what if you just changed where you were planted? There's a few reasons why I feel like we resist this idea, and I've, I've given you names if you're, if you're one of these. The first one is this. Uh, the loner. Some of you go, I don't want to be planted in community I, I, because I'm good. I don't need deep relationships. And what I want to tell you is you don't know what you're missing. You don't know what you're missing. It, it's kind of, it's, it's, it's like, have you ever lived with a cold for, you know, and it's like a cold that like doesn't go away? And then it's like one day the cold breaks and it's like, you breathe and you're like, oh my gosh, the oxygen. There it is. It's that feel. That's the same way with relationships. We're living without it and we've lived without it for so long that you don't know what you're missing. And I'm even saying probably the, the, the reason you stopped breathing is, is legitimate. You probably were hurt in relationships and that caused you to distance yourself. So there's no shame here. But this is, this is what I've come to tell you. It will be the healthy version of the thing that hurts you that brings you healing. Did you hear me? You won't find healing in relationships by separating yourselves from people, finding healing, and then entering back into relationships. That's not how it works. Because the need-meeting mechanism in our soul can only be healed in the place that it was meant to, be, to, to receive nutrients from. Are you hearing me? Please don't get lost in the metaphors there. But you, are, you will find healing in the healthy version of the thing that hurts you. Not the conflict-free version. The healthy version. Not the thing that never hurts you. The one that forgives you. 
Not the thing that, you, that, well, you, that you'll never get offended. The thing that you find lo- a transcendent, life-giving love in. You don't know what you're missing. You don't know what you're missing. Uh, but there's, there's another kind of posture that keeps us from receiving from relationships. It says, I call you the one-way street. The one-way street. I'm a great friend to others is one of the way the one-way street works. So there's no incoming traffic on the one-way street. It's just outgoing. In other words, every relationship in your life is a relationship you only give to. So you don't have peer relationships. You don't have anybody. You don't have, you don't have mentor relationships. Nobody, nobody can give to you. You're always the strong one. You're always the one giving advice. You're always... So there isn't this place of vulnerability and weakness ever. It's the one-way street. But the one-way street also works the other way. Sometimes the one-way street is this way. I don't have anything to give. Some of you are one-way street relationally because you, you're always the one receiving. You never see yourself as the strong one. The ability to give... But any healthy relationship, just like our natural body, any individual part, the way it remains in health is it receives nutrients from the body and it gives nutrients to the body. Right? Are you tracking with me here? Am I talking too fast? So the liver, our liver, it gives life-giving nourishment to the rest of our body. But it does not have an immune system all by itself. It needs another part of the body. So it gives and it receives. That's part of being in relationship. So um, let's make this biblical, can we? Can we just make this biblical so I'm not just talking about my own personal garden? Okay, let's do that. Luke. Luke. Jesus tells a story, a parable. And this is what he said. A man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard, and he went to look for fruit, results of health, on it, but did not find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, For three years now, I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Give that dirt to something that's producing fruit. Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year and I'll dig around it and I'll fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. And here's the principle. The principle I want to teach you. You can't expect long-term change without addressing your life's soil. You can't expect long-term change without addressing your life's soil. And it is. This is the question. I want you to write this down in your notes. Where are you planted? Because I want you to reflect on that this week. Where are you planted? Now I'm going to get super practical. Can I do that? I'm going to talk about five relationships in your life that you must have to, to, to lead you to flourishing. This, 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 these, these five relationships need to be in the soil of your life. Okay? Is this okay? This is, pretty, this is pretty practical for us. The first one is this. Coaches. Coaches. These, this is when you get the expertise you need. You need people in your life who are further down the road than you are. I, I'm, I'm going to call these coaches. They're further down the road than you are. This, we, we think of this in, in areas of life outside of spirituality, generally. So sports, yeah, they have coaches. Executives in the business world, they have coaches. But me, I don't need a coach. If there's nobody in your life who's further down the road than you are, who you can receive from, you will never get to the place of flourishing. It's something in your soil that is deficient. And can I just tell you this? It doesn't matter what age you are. Because the primary factor in them being able to coach you is not the age. It's how far down the road they are in the area you're needing to grow. 
you hearing me? So some of you have disqualified yourself from, from being coached because, you, because of your age. I'm the oldest one in the room. Well, is there someone in, in a certain area of your life that, ha, that, is, that is in a place of flourishing that you have not experienced yet? They've just become your coach. They've just become your coach. We need these relationships in our life. So the question is, who are you, who are you receiving correction from? Do you know that the highest performing people in, in the worlds that I just mentioned, especially the worlds that I just mentioned, sports and, and, and business, they have more coaches, not less. So Ronaldo, he has more coaches than, than just the B-Squad team player. Even though his natural ability and his determination are higher. Why? Because he realizes uh, my, my need for coaching is directly connected to my, to my potential for impact. You need to think about your own life that way. You need more coaching, not less. We know how to receive coaching in every other environment, work, education, sports, but when it comes to church, coaching is off limits. Maybe you need some coaches. What area of your life are you working on because of recent feedback from someone else? What area of your life are you working on because of recent feedback from someone else? If you don't have recent feedback from someone else, then you don't have a coach relationship in your life. If nobody's challenged you on the way you talk to somebody or your prayer life, your relational life, the way you deal with money. You, you don't have a coach in your life. Are you hearing me? And can I, just, can, can I just get really honest? Everything you need is in this room. Everything you need is in this room. And I don't mean me. Okay? So if you go, oh man, if Pastor Joe would just give me more time to help me study the Bible. I don't, I, I'm sorry, I, I don't. I, I don't have that time. It's not because I don't love you. It's because, it's because I, my capacity on the help people learn how to read the Bible is, is already full. It's like a, Yego, a, a Lego block on my dots. They've been taken. But there are people in this room who are further down the road than you in that area, and they have Lego dots available. And you need to plug your little Lego into their Lego. I'm, using, I'm pulling metaphors from outer space this morning. There are people in this room that you can connect to. It takes time. I'm going to get to the practice on how you do that here in a minute. I'm, I'm moving fast. Coaches, get the experts you need. This is, these are the Yodas in your life. Now, they can speak English in regular like form, but that's who, that's who you're looking for. Get the expertise you need. Number two, this is the second relationship you need to, to lead to a place of flourishing. This is the soil. Comrades. You know, like the C, like coaches, C, comrades. Okay, all right, all right, all right. Comrades, build your life team. Build your life team. These are your peers. And, if, and, and just in case you think coaches are the only people who, who can impact your life, I'll, I just want to correct that. My life has been changed just as much by my peers as my coaches, if not more so. And most of the time it starts with this, man, I wish I was like that. If you don't respect your friends that way, you need new friends. And they need to look at you that way. Like, man, I just love whenever you meet somebody. Like, for the first, you're so life-encouraging. You're asking so many questions. It's little stuff like that. Like, man, I want to be like that. That's your comrade. And you, can, I just, can I just tell you something? You don't have 50 comrades. You're going to have five. You're going to have three. Why your Lego block is not that big green piece? You know what I mean? That you, like, start the ground with. No, your comrade's Lego piece is, like, got six dots on it. Are you with me? It's just a few. It's just a few, because you can't go deep with 50 people. But you need them in your life. You need people who know, this is, this is how you know your comrades, they know the real you, 
and they like you anyway. They're not put off or scared by your mess or your issues or your feel, fears or your failures. But they also aren't satisfied to allow you to live in your mess. If you don't have somebody like that, you don't have comrades. If, if they like to live, if they like you living in your mess or they join you in your mess, that's not common. You don't need those people. And they're not really connected because they love you. They're connected because you have common interests. And the first way I know that is you stop doing the thing that you guys only do together, they'll stop being your friend. You know it's truth. So if they're your drinking buddy and you stop drinking and they, and, and they never text you, they're not your comrade. They're your drinking buddy. That's not a comrade. Comrades see, see the best in you and then they see everything that's keeping you from the best in you and they go to battle for you. That's comrades. If you don't have this in the soil of your life, you'll never lead to flourishing. You have people who need to know you. I have people in my life, they don't even have to, they don't even have to hear me speak. They can just look at me and they know where I'm at. Because they've seen me on my worst day, they've seen me on my best day, and they don't judge me by either one. They can be in a hotel room with me for 10 days and see all my dumb little quirks that I do and my ridiculously disciplined schedule and still not think this guy is a weirdo, okay? Your comrades, they have shared core values. They're in, they have an engagement in your growth on some level. They're not satisfied with seeing you live where you are. But you know what the key to this is? It's vulnerability. That's the key. The key is vulnerability. See, we, we all want friends, but we don't want, vulnerable. We don't want to be vulnerable. I don't want them to see the things that are yucky about me. It's vulnerable. They, they need to see your mistakes, your struggles, your weaknesses, your needs, your emotions. We even talk to you men, or those of you, that's a generalization, or those of you that have a hard time expressing your emotions. Yes, they need to see that side. You, every, this is the, these are the people you don't posture yourselves around. Right? Like, make sure you got my good side. It's not those people. You need to leave your meetings with them with what, with, with what my wife calls vulnerability hangover. You're like, oh my gosh, I shared way too much. I shared way too much. Whoa. That's how you need to leave. If you, if you don't feel that way, you haven't been vulnerable. Vulnerability is when you have information about me that you could use against me, but instead, you use it for my benefit. That's vulnerability. That's when you found a comrade. Number two, comrades. Number three. This is your 50 space block, your casuals, okay? This is your green block with 50 dots. This is your church family in many ways, okay? But it's people outside your church family. These are, these are where you make great acquaintances, okay? You need this. They, help, they keep you living in the present. They keep you um, learning about life experiences other than you and your friend group, Okay? They keep you, when we, when we went through seasons of, as a community, dealing with racism that was, that was uh, erupting globally, the consciousness of racism, do you know what we needed as a faith family? Not just close friends. We needed acquaintances. We needed people who had life experiences in racism that I have never had myself. Are you hearing me? They keep you grounded in the present. They, they, they let you hear about storylines going on in society and culture that you would never be exposed to if you stuck to your family or your street or your friend group. You, you've got to have, you've got to have casuals. You like the C's, all the C's. Isn't that great? You've got to have casuals. You've got to make great acquaintances. That means it matters you hanging around here after service. 
And I know some of you, you're still getting used to our community. Take as long as you need. There's no rush, okay? But there needs to come a day where you don't leave right before service is over. Okay? Now, I've had little kids. I know what it's like when just the fact that I'm in the room with a small child is a miracle. You don't even understand. So I get that. I'm not saying there's, you know, there's exceptions to this rule. My point is if the reason is because you're, you're, you don't want to be around people, you need to push through that. Just needs to come a day where you push through that. And why? Because you need a, you need a, a, a broader family. They don't know your stuff, but you're, 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 getting, you're getting in other storylines besides just your comrades. Differences are good. And this gives you a pool of friends to find some comrades, to find some lifers from. Because you're going to have a, a, a meeting after church, and you have that meeting, and then you leave going, whoa, I want to get to know them a bit more. That was awesome. And then, then it, gives you, it gives you a pool of friends, right? Casuals. I am moving so fast, guys. I'm sorry. Number four, colleagues. Colleagues, this is about the work or the productivity side of your life. You need work, productivity, and collaboration, okay? These are people in your life. Why? Because you were, you were hardwired to need to move something forward in life. If you don't feel like you're going anywhere with a group of people, then you're not going to be flourishing. God didn't just give Adam, just, he didn't just drop him in paradise with no needs. He dropped him in paradise with a mission, a task. Work is not a result of the fall and sin. Work was before the fall and sin. Tend the garden. Why? Because we were hardwired to need purpose. And what, what does that look like? That's your, that's your colleagues. You need to steward those relationships well. Number five. Last one. Care. There, there needs to be people in your life who you care for. You provide for them. Let me just give, I'm, I'm trying to move quickly here. They, here's some, um, some characteristics. They have a legitimate need for something that you can provide. This is everybody in the room. This is one of the reasons we have a mentorship between young adults and in our youth, because we want, we want people to see from, the age, from youth age, there is, that I have something to give in life. That nobody's as qualified from this. They have a legitimate need for something that you can provide. Number two, they have no avenue for recom to recompense you financially or elsewhere. It's not reciprocal. This is somewhere you give and you're not expecting something back. If you don't have that in your life, you're not going to get to flourishing. Care. Your care for them is the primary focus of that relationship. Are you hearing me? It's important for all of us. They take responsibility for the care they've been given. There's a two categories that I'm not going to go into today of, of relationships you should avoid. That's a different teaching. But it's important in care relationships that they, that they take responsibility for the care you're giving them. Does that make sense? Because there's a point when that can actually become harmful uh, to you. It's, a, it's, a, it's an unhealthy relationship, but I'll stop there. Then they become chronics or contaminants. So, yeah. Some of you were like, oh my goodness, you just described half my contacts on my phone. So what do you do? Two steps, and then two steps, and then we're going to end. Two steps. First thing, I want you to own the process. I want you to own this. I told you I'd get practical. Is this too practical for you? I want you to own the process. Can can um can I get a musician up? Because my preaching doesn't sound as good without music. Own the process. 
This is what I want you, if you could leave with one emotion at the end of today, this is what I want you to, the emotion I want you to leave with. I have enough to meet my relational needs. I have enough in my faith family. I have enough in this room, in my work colleagues. I have enough to meet my needs. What's keeping me from meeting my needs? I haven't owned the process yet. I am living as a victim of just slowly going through life and bumping into pain or uncertainty or other people's intentions or lack of intentions or investment in me or lack of investment. I'm just, I'm just the byproduct of that. It's time to own the process. And this word process is important because this takes time. Stacy and I have been in, in the UK now for seven years. It'll be seven years in April, seven years. And we're still forming relationships, seven years. And I know you're 23 and you're like, I've been here, I've been in Manchester for eight months. <laughs> and I don't have any lifelong friends. That's good, you haven't been through anything. My first question is, are you planted somewhere? Are you planted? Or are you moving from friend group to friend group to friend group to friend to friend to friend to friend? When as soon as they do something you don't like, you hit the road. If you're not planted, you will never form relationships. If you're, if you're not planted somewhere, if you constantly transplant, oh, what I didn't bring up here was my lavender. That's what I didn't bring up here. Because my lavender plant in my front garden is a disaster. And do you know one of the reasons it's a disaster? Because I've transplanted it several times. And do you know what happens to lavender when you transplant it? it something happens called transplant shock. Actually, the soil around the lavender can be perfectly suited to meet all of its needs, but if you transplant it too much, it will reject where it's been planted. So some of you, the environment is right, but you've yet to sink your roots down deep. You haven't owned the process. Can I just say, this, this, this church right here, my desire for this church is that this is healthy ground for you to plant in. I don't mean it's conflict-free or offense-free. I've said, I've said it since before we planted this, before we started this church. If I haven't offended you yet, it's just because you haven't known me long enough. Okay? I'm human. But... But what makes this safe ground is not that it's offense-free. What makes this safe ground is our response to the conflict. You've got to own the process. You've got to initiate conversations. You've got to go through your contacts list. And it takes effort. And look through who, who here do I think can be a comrade or a coach. You've got to set up lunches. And if they talk for an hour and a half about themselves and their own issues, you just mark them off your list, okay? I just give you permission. And you go to the next person and you realize that relationship is not going to be good for me or them. It's what you do. You need to mark down 20 or 30 people. This practical. And set up some lunches. And you see, how does it go? And what you do is you don't tell them your life story. I promise they'll get scared and run away. And they should because that's weird. You don't tell them your life story and all your issues. You tell them one struggle and see how they deal with that. Just one. Just one little struggle that you had. See how they deal with that. If they divert or turn away or, or change the subject to their own problem, you go, this isn't a good place. This is not a comrade. 
But if they respond in a life-giving way, you don't then share all your issues, okay? It's the first coffee. Set up another coffee. And you know, maybe a year, year and a half, maybe you've started then to, 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 to gain some sort of common ground there where you can go, man, this, this maybe can be a lifer for me, a comrade. Then you need to go through some, some junk together, some stuff, some life challenges, some losses of jobs, deaths of loved ones. You hear me? You need to go through that stuff. Don't give up. Own the process. Number two, it says, commit and go deeper. So for those of you that are in relationships, you need to go deeper in those relationships. Be vulnerable. Confess your sins. My, the brothers in my life, I confess my sins to them. You're like, oh my gosh, you're the pastor and you sin? Yes. And I confess to my comrades. what I do. Confess to my comrades. And they restore me, is what the Bible tells us to do, with brotherly affection. And then they keep me accountable. They check on me. Make sure you're not doing it again. Whatever it is. You with me? You need to commit and go deeper. How do, how do you do that? You bring grace through, through three things. I, I don't have time to go into this. Grace, truth, and time. Grace, Truth, you can't just have grace without truth. You're leaving people where they are. You can't just have truth without grace or they don't want to go where you're telling them to go because you're mean. Grace, truth, and time. This is not McDonald's. My home country's greatest contribution to the UK. It's sad. I was in Israel and I walked around the corner, there's a McDonald's. I was like, this is great. This is what the world thinks about Americans. Right here, McDonald's. It's, it's, it's not McDonald's. Time, grace, truth, and time. 